0: This episode is brought to you by Columbia Care, who have got some freebies for you. Recently, we've been trying out platinum CBD from Columbia Care. Columbia Care have brought their expertise into CBD from the US to create a sophisticated CBD wellness range in the UK, including both peppermint and unflavoured CBD oil, as well as easy to take soft gel capsules. All the range is free from THC, vegan friendly,
1: 100% organic and backed with scientific research to ensure you get a premium CBD
0: product every time. CBD can help with sleep, pain, anxiety, mood, inflammation, gut issues, brain fog. Oh, my God. And so much more. It's really simple.
1: Either drop the required dose of CBD oil on your tongue and hold for 30 seconds or take one soft gel CBD capsule at a time of day that suits you.
0: Yeah, and I find I'm most anxious at bedtime, so I've been taking it then. And the instruction card is so easy to follow and highlights that there are not set rules. You can just make it up as you go along and use something that works for
1: your lifestyle. We are delighted that our listeners can now try their CBD products for free. You can choose from the 10 milliliter oil in either peppermint or unflavored, or the 30-piece soft gel capsules. Just use code BOOKRECOSFREE online at colcare.uk. that's col care.uk and add the product of your choice to the basket and all you have to pay is a £3.50 shipping.
0: Bargain, welcome to Book Grecos Between the Pages. I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. And we're the pals behind Book Records. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. And we both recently read We Need to Talk About Money by Tega
1: Wagba, and we have been dying to talk about it because it is so fantastic.
0: Yeah, and with the end of the year fast approaching, it's a great chance to check in on what we're currently reading and stuck into it at the moment. Lauren, how are you? Very well, Jessica. How are you doing? Good.
1: I'm glad you're well. My week <laughs> has not been my favourite week that I've ever had. No,
0: why? and it's a lot well, of work. Go well, wise. it's a lot of work. Might be a bit too negative.
1: Too negative. Oh well, it's perfect for today. Well, that's what exactly what I was going to say. Like, I'm I'm so hyped up to talk about. We need to talk <laughs> about money. I'm glad we've saved it because now I'm so ready. Um, but. What I want to talk about is oh. my escapism from my shitty week into yeah. a
0: fantasy novel. Oh, what fantasy novel? Well, it is
1: Lonely Castle in the Mirror by Mitsuki ah. Sujimura, And,
0: you know, we don't read a lot of fantasy. And so, I can't say it's my vibe, to be fair. Yeah, it's but- not my go to. Again, it's another
1: one where it's not my go-to, but I've really highly enjoyed it. So I don't know why. <laughs> A bit it like Greek mythology. My goes- I don't know why. Hate it's it apart not from when I love it. <laughs> <laughs> also, I've never hated any fantasy books I've read. <laughs> so I don't know why I don't reach for
0: them. Um, but go and tell us what it was. It about. was about
1: it was so gorgeous. So it's um translated Japanese fiction and it well I'm looking at it the prize winning Japanese number one bestseller and it is about a group of teenagers who don't really fit in at school and as a result they they stop going to school and Mm. um, our protagonist is Kokoro and she is at home one day during school hours and her mirror starts glowing she's like what the f is going on here it goes over to it and and she realizes that she can actually walk through her mirror and she does (sighs) and she ends up at this castle and there is a girl in a wolf mask there to greet her and she soon finds out that there are six other teenagers who have all gone through their own mirrors and arrived at the castle too <sighs> and they're given a task they're, they're told that they have to look for um, the magic wishing key and then at the end one of them will get to like whoever finds it can make a wish on this key and but they don't have they've got until march to do it they've basically got just under a year to look for the key and they mm. soon sort of find out that actually it's quite nice coming to the castle and spending time together. So they're like, you know what, let's hold off looking for the key. Cause this is quite nice for us. And <laughs> as, as the reader, you're like, yay. Like they're interacting with other people because actually they've just been at home, not interacting with other people. And, you know, so sa- you know, it sounds very magical and a wishing key and a, and a castle mm. and through a mirror, yeah. but it's actually a story about teenage anxiety. And when I finished it, because I, you know, I like to read every single page in a book. I was like, <laughs> oh, let's get to the acknowledgements. But I actually came across the publisher's note. I'm just and going to read it out. It says, according to a recent UNICEF report, Japanese children were ranked second to last in an international survey assessing children's mental health across 38 developed and emerging countries. While Japanese children were ranked first in physical health and often live in relatively prosperous economic circumstances, instances of bullying in schools, as well as difficult oh relationships with family members, lead to a lack of psychological well-being. And so, oh my
0: God, it just like awful.
1: It made the book mean even more to me. And the characters are all really lovely, and you get to know them in the castle, and then actually. I was like, oh, OK, so it's a character driven novel. But then like towards mm. the end, the plot like speeds up and you're trying to see like you're trying to uncover the truth because they're always trying to work out not not like where the key is, but why yeah. they're actually there. How does it all link up? And I was I didn't guess what was going to happen. I was mind blown when it did. And then even after <laughs> that, when I thought it was about to be resolved, there's another little plot twist. At oh, the I end. love
0: that. Yeah. I have so, to say it's not a book I've even really seen much of. Oh, I had seen a bit of it
1: and I was like, oh, shit, I've got a copy of that. I really need to read it. And I still didn't. Oh, OK. And I'm really glad I have. I had such a great time. with I'm it. I really didn't happy think, for you. I didn't think I'd love it as much as I did. And, you know, maybe it's timing. I was having a crappy week, so I got lost in the castle in a mirror. I'm not mad about it. I think that was great. A fantasy <laughs> tip for escapism. Exactly. I mean, there is nothing better for escapism. Mm. Um. So that's me waffling on about what well, I'm not currently reading. It, I read it. Are
0: you currently reading anything, Lauren? Um, I am. And actually, by the time this episode goes out, I will have finished it. Um, oh, yeah. I,
1: I think my review will have gone live of that book. Gone live, yeah. You can go and look um, at that.
0: Yeah, I am currently reading Assembly by Natasha Brown.
1: Oh my god! And
0: I remember just, we were has been so much hype. Yeah. yeah, we went book shopping one day, and I think in like three of the bookshops, the booksellers yeah. were recoing that book. Exactly, and I finally bought it. Um, it's a really thin book; it's only about a hundred pages, yeah. um, so you can fly through it. But I loved it, and it's oh, about. I'm so glad. Mm, it's like it's an unnamed narrator and she's a black British woman and is has a really high profile career and, and earning a huge amount of money working in a bank and it, her boyfriend is a white man who comes from a very privileged family and doesn't actually have a job but he's able to just get by on his his um uh, trust fund. He has trust fund, baby. That's the one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and it's written in quite abstract prose, almost just like a constant stream of consciousness. But one of the like golden threads throughout the whole story is she's going to his parents' house they're having a garden party for their anniversary or something. And it's causing her quite a bit of anxiety because her, his parents treat her as the latest um, lady friend in quotes. And right. she is very much aware that that is because she is a black woman and his parents think that she's only temporary. And so it's like the sort of dynamic result that has on her relationship with him but also working in a bank she's surrounded by a lot of middle-aged white men who have also got to where they are today not all of them but a large amount of them not through hard work but through family ties and family status and she is she feels like the and these are her words not mine but the the diversity tick box in that oh we we're, we're doing the right thing we have a black woman on our leadership team um so yeah i just loved reading it because like i said it was a conscious it's like a conscious stream of thought from her and much like your own thoughts it does just like zip back and forth between one thought to the next, to the next, to the next. And because of that, it's like a really hypnotic read and I couldn't put it down because you, you're like, okay, I just want to get to the end of this thought and then it would take you somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else and then come back. But it was, um, so at times it was quite challenging to follow, but I think that is also the beauty of it. And as soon as you sort of let go of trying to piece it all together and make it all make sense it's just a really enjoyable read and touches on just like a black woman's experience in society and just demonstrates the amount of racist structures and class structures that are inexistent in our society very much so. Sounds phenomenal I mm. um
1: work with someone who talks like that stream of consciousness oh, really? like it's fine for your thoughts to be scattered and here there and everywhere they're your thoughts it's fine and, <laughs> and I work with someone who like will say the end point and then yeah take you back to the beginning of the thought process and <laughs> everywhere so I like I'm now imagining that as a book and I think totally. it works so great as a book it you does also yeah said something there about how she felt like the I've forgotten what you quoted but like she was the yeah, only black t- employee t- tick box you said yeah. that was it and it actually links to Tega's book because like she talks about black employees being like the poster child and I yeah. mean that literally in poster like yeah they will be the yeah. ones that are taking pictures off for the website
0: yeah and then if you are a black person who joins that company you're like oh all of the people who are black were in this poster and everyone yeah. else is white. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's... Well, speaking of, should we dive in?
0: Oh my God, please. Yeah. <laughs> I can't express how much I just loved this book. And although it was a memoir, it's almost written a bit like a novel, wouldn't you say? Like. Yeah, I can imagine
1: it as like some sort of like contemporary fiction where it's like yeah. character driven, coming of age kind of style exactly and it's
0: so um like coherent in the timeline of her life as well and not many memoirs keep to a structure like that so but because of that structure it does feel like a novel and you were able to follow her career journey and the obstacles that she's had in her career to date which I just think so refreshing as um you know as a woman at the you know, in her early career, I just thought, "Oh my God, th- thank God for being able to read this because cl- careers aren't linear and it's really refreshing to read somebody else's challenges. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing
1: and like uplifting and inspiring in so many parts, but also made me so angry. <laughs> there is. were just absolutely so curious. many examples of the gender and
0: racial imbalances that exist in the workspace. Yeah. And uh, I have, I'm slightly worried, Jess, that this podcast will just turn into a massive rant. I mean, did I not just say that I've had a bad work week? <laughs> I'm
1: going to really try and rein it in in case anyone listens to it. I mean, I've already slagged off one colleague for not being able to talk and go here in coherent sentences. <laughs> anyway, Lauren. Yes. Will you do us the honours of drop the snob? I was going to say dropping oh, well. the snob, but it didn't rhyme. So that was sad for me.
0: Dropping the snobby? <laughs> we'll let that one go (laughs) okay here it is in this unforgettable blend of memoir and cultural commentary Atega Uwagba explores her own complicated relationship with money and uh, her wide-ranging experiences about the world around us an extraordinary candid personal account of the ups and downs wrought by money it's a very It's a vital exploration of stories and issues that will be familiar to most. This is a book about toxic workplaces and misogynist men and getting pay rises and getting evicted, about class and privilege and racism and beauty, and about shame, pride, compulsion and fear. In unpicking the shroud of secrecy surrounding money, who has it, how they got it, and how it shapes our lives, this boldly honest account of one woman's journey upturns countless social conventions and uncovers some startling truths about our complex relationships with money in the process. Ooh.
1: <laughs> what yeah. a synopsis.
0: I feel like so we I review
1: think- synopsises as much as the books. These oh days. my God, we
0: really do, don't we? I've never even um, clocked onto that before. <laughs> um, so I think one of the things I liked most about this book um, was just the new perspective it gave me about my own relationship with money and how it's actually not usually something that relationship isn't isn't something we create for ourselves, but rather it's like you inherit your values and your understanding of money from your parents, which is so true. And I've not really thought of it like that, but she breaks down how and why that is. And it just makes so much sense. Yeah. Um,
1: Since you've mentioned the word parents, shout out to her parents. The book near (gasps) the beginning talks about how a teacher was... Oh my God, what a bitch. Being a twat and her parents are so great at dealing with the situation you have to read it to find out I'm not going to spoil it for you but I was like god yeah um but I like on that you know your understanding of money and relationship with money and all of that I just I find it mind-blowing that it's not something that we learn at school
0: (laughs) why do we need to know
1: algebra like I think financial literacy um, literacy should like be part of the school curriculum. Totally. And she also explains how wealth goes beyond just monetary value. And it's a like true valuation of wealth is based on what you own, what you know, who you know. And mm. for a she grew up not from a poor background by any means, but she speaks to how she came to this understanding when she got her scholarship to a private school. And suddenly her social circle was, filled with people who had nannies and drivers Mm. which up until that point was completely foreign concept
0: yeah Yeah, it was a total new experience for her wasn't it to go from public to private school and I just loved how the book was just rooted in her own experience but it was also like it had so much research and thought around money in it too and um, something I really enjoyed learning about was the four types of relationships people tend to have with money. Um, so they are money vigilant, money avoidant, money worship and money status. Um, Jess, which would you say, what camp would you say you fall into?
1: So I don't actually know because I don't think I'm just one camp. I, like okay. money vigilance i am keen on saving money yeah. and being vigilant about that money yeah. m- part of money avoidance is then not really thinking about money and there are yeah. times when like i will buy something because i want it and money doesn't cross my mind yeah um but i think also a big part of money avoidance is this negativity around money and like you believe that people with money are bad and corrupt and i don't have that Um, Yeah, meaning money status. I don't, I'm definitely not in that camp, which is where like you're more likely to overspend on things because you believe that makes you better than anyone else. Mm. And again, money worship, like thinking that that's the key to happiness. Yeah. I I don't think that, but occasionally if I'm sad, I will buy myself something to cheer me up. (laughs) So... I think I'm a bit of money worship, money vigilance, tiny bit of money avoidance. Is that the okay. answer you're going for
0: there?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you? It's what are you the most- truthful
0: answer. What are you? I would say I am. Um, I I lean towards money avoiding in that I tend I try not to think about money as much as possible because it just stresses me out so much, and I. I'm quite frivolous in my spending and don't really um, budget very well. So my relationship with money is a bit fucked up, to be honest, like I need to be better. (laughs) But that is the part of this book as well is her saying, we actually need to have this um, vocabulary around money in our relationships and these conversations with our friends, with our um, families and colleagues, because it is, quite secretive isn't it like no one really talks about it and because of that there's a lot of like shame around money yeah yeah I agree I do think there
1: is I'm still slightly in the mindset of like it's rude to ask someone what their salary is
0: yeah I do do totally agree with that I think in a work environment with somebody who is on a same level as you I think we need to have those conversations more Cause that's but the only I way think that that's risky because in a
1: workplace, you might assume someone is on a similar salary to you. And then if they're not,
0: but then if they're not, then that's, or if you're not, they You've... need to then, or you're not, you need to then speak to your manager and ask for a pay rise because it's not fair. True. Like um, at my workplace um, last year, this uh, anonymous document went round and it was just a Google Doc that people from all over the world, uh, who were, worked for the company, had been putting in. And you just didn't put your name, but you put your job title, what band you're in, what your, you know, um, whether you had a university degree, and what salary you're on, so that people could stop, start benchmarking mm-hmm. how where they fall in the bracket around. You know what should what they should and shouldn't expect which is very interesting It's
1: interesting I feel like I've like because I work um in the third sector like I sort of had my hat on there of like everyone should get paid fairly of course yeah but exactly. I would I would like in the charity sector it is harder to ask for yeah. a pay rise because yeah, if, there, yeah, if there isn't a business need for you to be paid more yeah that's that's money that should be going to the services so I would be concerned if I told someone my salary and they they were a similar level to me but they got paid less and then they went away and asked for more money I would carry some guilt around that and I hadn't actually thought about no it's about fairness and your employer doing right by you yeah yeah but it's very tricky to demand more money especially when you're seeing firsthand like what your charity delivers or whatever yeah to be like I I deserve more but actually
0: that's like You you kind of say it's like, oh my god, that's money I'm taking
1: away from the beneficiaries of this Mm, charity.
0: That's a that's a that's a a unique one. Yeah, I I I actually hadn't thought about it until now. Yeah, I think if you're working for a company that is for profit,
1: oh yeah, this is conglomerate. Totally different story.
0: (laughs) You know, yeah. At the end of the day, money that's not going to you is just going into somebody else's pocket higher up the chain. So, um. Yeah, it's just so interesting. Like there were just so many parts of this book that blew my mind and perspectives.
1: Yeah, and this whole relationship with money piece really reminded Mm -hmm. me of a book that I have actually talked about on the podcast before. I think it was our big magic episode um, and it's called The Money Is Coming by Sarah Kusombe and it's about manifesting money. And part of that book is her breaking down people's relationships and thoughts about money and how so many people view it negatively
0: yeah um I see like having a lack mentality around money yeah was something that I remember you saying was a theme in that book but also is a theme in in this book as well because a lot of people will say vigilantly because they believe that at one point money will stop coming and then they therefore don't spend the amount that you've earned um, yeah which is the camp that she uh a fell into for a very yeah. long time and you know she
1: had all these savings and then she sort of she points out at one point that was like well what was i saving for if i'm not going to use it yeah. when i need it exactly and, yeah it must be such a hard i mean well i guess all of them are
0: probably once you're in them really hard mindsets to get yeah. out of and actually that is a theme that f- was in assembly as well she uh the narrator earns a lot of money and she sort of there's this whole sort of prose around I'm saving for a rainy day, but every day's a bloody rainy day in the UK. So what <laughs> am I saving for? Love that. Um, this is like, I don't know, maybe you planned it because
1: you knew you were going to discuss this book today, but like you reading a Assembly whilst right? we're talking about this book. Is I know it nuts. couldn't have
0: been better timing.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, I, I was reading about um, Magic Mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay back to this book. Um, I think something that really stood out in general and I think like most yeah. people will where it might be of like most benefit is at our life stage and it, it's the chapters around her career path and journey and I can't remember what page or where the research came from so not not quoting here, but um, Mm. she said that it takes an average of two years for the corporate world to rob women of the ambition
0: they entered the workplace with. How fucking depressing is that? My God, that fills me with so much dread. (laughs) I mean, I think fortunately for us, and I I don't know, um, speaking for both of us here, but I don't feel like we fall into those camps, but I know a lot of women who do and have just left the, the quote-unquote career path entirely because it just wasn't for them and it was just beating them down too much. Um, so I do, I do kind of understand how those statistics are about and sp- especially reading this book. Um, but I agree those chapters were so interesting and I love the part about how she negotiated her first salary pay rise at the age of 21 go on girl she's so great she's like kind of like um it wasn't
1: our last episode episode before we were talking about Emily Ratajkowski being a like a oh yeah and she's, a she's worked so hard and it's and it's ingrained in Otega because she was such a good student her whole life she's worked yeah. so hard constantly
0: so she's gonna get what she deserves exactly <laughs> she's, and she's, she's gonna get it I can't remember if she's an Oxford or Cambridge graduate it's Oxford. one of those Oxford yeah she's an Oxford graduate as well and she was just saying entering her first um in into the workplace and entering on like a, a measly figure she's clearly smart you know so um, smart. but for anyone who struggles in pay negotiations um she actually recorded a book called women don't ask by linda babcock and sarah Lashiva which explores this topic in more detail. So I will defo be adding that one to my TBR. Oh, good clock. Yeah. Let Mm. me know when you buy them. (laughs) Um, Well, I think
1: many women will benefit from this book. It's just honest and raw. And I'm sure... Well, there'll be things that like lots of people can relate to for example um in one chapter she discusses female ambition particularly in a male-dominated office environment and she mm-hmm. said that in one of her performance reviews wait for it, at the beginning <laughs> of her career she said um my boss informed me that she found my ambition hard to manage as though the ambition of a 23 year old woman was something to be tempered instead of nurtured yeah I mean, that's the two year mark, isn't it? If she was, her first job was at 21 and then at 23, her ambition was being beaten down by
0: other people. Totally. And by all accounts, well, from my experience as well, the ambition of men seems to be like expected and praised and encouraged. And her experience was like, get back in your box kind of thing. That's not your role. Don't think outside of your current role. And, And just moving us on slightly, I, one of the parts I just bloody loved was how she tackled emotional labor, which comes with any job. So she describes it, emotional labor as something where you're working in an environment where you feel you have to constantly suppress your emotions and project ones that you aren't actually feeling, which is okay to an extent, but if you're doing it day in, day out, you know, nonstop, it can take a real psychological toll on you. And one of the signs she says where you can spot if this is happening to you is if, for example, coming home from work, and you snap at your partner or your family, because you've just run out of nice for the day, and this can eventually lead to anxiety and burnout. And I actually found this chapter just quite difficult to read. Actually, it was, just uncomfortably relatable and it brought back really vivid and uncomfortable memories of when I've experienced this in the past. And working in a dynamic like this actually, for me, and it's probably a bit of an overshare, led to a breakdown of one of my relationships because I just had nothing nice to give uh, when I came home from work and ended up being a really miserable person. But it's really reassuring to know that when I read it, Actually, I'm, I'd never thought of it like that before in the terms of emotional yeah. labour and, and registered it as those behaviours being a result of the environment that you're in mm-hmm. uh, and accustomed to day in, day out. Um, so I imagine it would be really reassuring for a lot of people to know that you're not alone if that is how you are reacting when you come home from work. And actually, that's an unhealthy behaviour and you need to make a change.
1: Yeah, I saw an interview recently with Meghan Markle and she was talking about how being a, I'm quoting, like stay-at-home mum yeah. is, a, is a job. That is, mm. that is unpaid work that that woman is doing. And when you said at the beginning, you know, about it's um, at the beginning of what you just said there, sorry, uh, that it's working in an environment where you have to like suppress your emotions.
0: Mm.
1: If you're If you are staying at home with your children all day, to care for yeah. them, chances are you are suppressing emotions and you're not you're totally. not thinking about yourself because your job is to keep them alive, <laughs> or keep <laughs> them happy, or keep them entertained, keep them fed, all these things. And then it might show that then when your partner comes home from work, you are snapping at them, and it's yeah, it's, it's so overlooked. Like stay at home mum, the phrase I think it just has so many negative connotations. It really it? does. It is a job. It's a job, and it's it's unpaid labour and uh, but it has all the same you know it's a negative responsibility you know yes they are your child and it's not like you can quit or whatever but
0: totally and it's it's, a burden that falls heavily on women's shoulders and expectations fall heavily on women's shoulders and I actually saw a piece of research this week I forget who it's by but they um worked out if stay at home mum quote-unquote was a job description how much would that job entitle what salary would that come attached Ooh, to will you send and that it to me or put it in the show yeah, notes if you can find it yeah let's i'll put it in the show notes it was done in america and their of their salaries are a lot higher because of you know they don't get um holiday amount of they don't get holiday but they also <laughs> don't um get like nhs like us so yeah they're you know it it wouldn't be a direct comparison but I'll share the quick because it, it was a staggering number I think it was something like 217,000 pounds yeah preach a, a thousand dollars a year so um yeah I really resonated with that part too and it made me think and this is this has the potential to turn quite ranty <laughs> but a male colleague I used to work with who didn't do mornings And he would just get away with it time and time again, turning up late every single morning to work, ignoring any questions, any tasks that were given to him before 10 a.m. And he used to just get away with it. And managers would just sort of roll their eyes and laugh in a sort of boys will be boys kind of way. And it just used to infuriate me because I knew if a woman was to act like that, then it just wouldn't be tolerated. Certainly not in the office environment i was in at the time because there are just so many more societal expectations put on women to be agreeable and to be nice and it yeah just pissed me off basically yeah i um
1: know a man who doesn't take meetings on a friday
0: okay to be fair we, so we do
1: no but <laughs> my like, work, i love it oh do you
0: white okay. whereas at mine it's not Not just one person
1: and i love to have a meeting free friday because friday is where i get all done all those tasks that i've been putting off all week fridays are my yeah. most productive days but if someone needs to have a meeting to get something done before the end of the week i will have yeah, a meeting just, it needs to happen like you're yeah. still you're still working you can't and like you can't just be like i don't do meetings on fridays okay well don't work on fridays
0: yeah okay or um, speak to HR and make it a company-wide policy and make it so that it's for everybody not just for you yeah and not just a privilege put up for you
1: yeah and um, I um want to talk about um still on this whole male female thing yeah uh I I since since reading this book I have maybe even told every single person I've spoken to about this section um, I'm pretty sure I brought it up at brunch when we went with Kel. Yes. Every single social situation I've been in since i brought this up. In fact, I've even recommended it to the um, EDI group at my work to share with everybody this record. <laughs> because I think all the women should read it, but I really think the friggin' men should read it because there's this whole section about women doing free work. And that is things yeah. like um, when it's someone's birthday, Who is it that usually organizes the birthday cake and the birthday card? Women. I'm not saying all the time, but a lot of the time it is. And it was after I had read this, my manager asked me and my colleague, we're both women, if we could sort out another one of my colleagues' birthday cards and cakes. And so, because I had read this book, I replied saying, Well, now that we're doing a bit of hybrid work and we're back in the office, why don't you buy a birthday card and bring it in? He wanted to do, I don't know if you do kudo boards like in. Yeah, I love a yeah, kudo board. I love a kudo board. We've been doing that in lockdown. I was like, Now nah, things back to normal. Cause he like says that he doesn't understand how to set up a kudo board. I was like, Why don't you buy a birthday card and bring it in? And then you can circulate that. Like, I'm not explicitly saying no, but I'm just, re- you know, reminding him there are other ways of doing birthday cards that perhaps he does know how to do. Um, and, I don't, and I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't read this book. I probably would have just been like, oh, fuck's sake, stop my job. Fine, I'm not a holiday, yeah. but fine. But I read this book and was like, no, <laughs> i <I'm> do not do <doing laughs> the birthday not okay? cake. Um, um, and, you know, there's so many other tasks that are like office yeah. admin, like the printer's run out of friggin' toner who who uses their and you know and I kind of think it comes down to a bit of just how females are in general if shit needs doing we'll get it done we are forward planners right like for example every night I it's my boyfriend up so much we are a household that has our meat in the freezer and we defrost it in the morning ready for dinner that night and the last thing I say before bed is what do you want for dinner tomorrow And he's like, oh my God, like we just had dinner. I can't think about it at this time. And I'm like, yeah, but you won't think about it tomorrow. So I have to think about it so that when I'm up, I get it out the freezer. And it's just women are forward planners. We're ready for these sorts of things. And so we just do all of this shit. But I feel like women, if you're listening, we're all going to stop doing the jobs that we do. And we're going to see what happens in the world. And they can all deal with the fallout.
0: Yeah, I um, listened to a talk by Caitlin Moran last year and she says now that in her and I think she mentions this in her book it was sort of promotion for her book um she now has a whiteboard in her house that's called mum's jobs and she writes down all of the jobs that fall on her shoulders every single week and then she basically made it a rule in lockdown last year okay everyone is going to take one of these jobs and we're going to split it out fairly beyond the family so she was like i don't give a shit which you choose but you're choosing one of them and if it's not getting done it's not getting done um so it's just like it seems so um simple but it's like and like so silly even but just enforcing Actually, no. I'm not going to do all the jobs to keep this house running. I'm actually going to start distributing them out fairly. Makes yeah. a lot of sense, and that's why this book can be applied in more places than just the workplace. Totally, totally. And yeah, she has so many examples of this happening and getting career burnout uh, in a job that just was underappreciating her, underpaying her and um eventually led to her own burnout and I think a lot of people will really resonate with her career journey because it's not often that we're told the you know we're we're sort of told honest stories of how careers go wrong and how careers aren't linear and they sort of zigzag and you go backwards you go forwards you know it's there are successes there are falls so I think a lot of people will just find this really refreshing and yeah, honest
1: definitely and I really liked um how it ended so it can't it towards the end yeah. of the book she's looking at the housing market and she she thinks she's ready to buy her own house you know as we said she's money I've got which money vigilant yeah she's like she's a really big saver yeah um and she gives quite a few little anecdotes about a friend of hers who actually her parents gave her the money to buy her house and her friend had lied about it because she felt shame around yeah. that. I mean, that in itself, like you shouldn't really feel shameful about it if that's the yeah. way that your life has gone. But she sort of has a go at this friend and is like, you lying doesn't help the situation. Because I yeah. thought, because we both had similar jobs, this was something I could achieve. But Actually, it's not because yeah. my parents can't give me that handout. And I loved loved hearing like the sorts of anecdotes that she gives about it. Um, and it ends with her... I've just really felt for her because she was so ready. And then the pandemic hit and that slowed down her buying her own property. But um, following her on Instagram, she recently did a few stories about her fireplace in her flat and she got a chimney sweep to come and she was so excited. She posted about it for a few days in a row. And I was like, I love seeing this after reading your book and talking about your house journey. And now I see you with a chimney sweep.
0: (laughs) I like it It made me so happy for her. (laughs) <laughs> totally it was yeah she's a very inspiring woman isn't she she's yeah and she's got a couple of other books as well does, that yeah. I do want to to go and read now but this is her first on the topic of money yeah and it's a good one it's a good one it's a definite Hi, high, high record. top 10 books of the year 100 percent. yeah
1: I need to read really yeah, it. it is list. for me
0: it's more than I 10 and I need to, to I need to read. I've got to cut some out <laughs> Yeah But I remember reading it and thinking oh my god this is in my top 10 books for the year
1: Yeah I think those books that you go and you just
0: keep telling people about like that's yeah. such a clear sign that that book and has I stayed with And I read this you. quite a while ago Yeah I read same. this in the summer and I still vividly remember the lessons the stories the anecdotes and the way I felt whilst reading it Yeah Yeah Oh, thank you, Otega. Thank you. We love your book. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review. It costs you nothing, but it genuinely means the world to us. And
1: why not... Reco it to your reading buddy to listen to as well. Um, and if you don't already, then you can follow up on Instagram at BookRecos for funnily enough, more book recommendations. See you next week. We'll be here.